It's episode 76 of the Presentable Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Bean. Today on the program is Naz Hamid. He's the founder and principal of the design studio Weightshift, and we discuss how designers evolve in their careers and what maturity of craft really looks like. Naz, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's been a while. It's good to have you back. It was, I would look this up, you were on episode 12. So uh, it's been a little while since you've been 76, here. 76, 12 to 76. There yeah. you go. Oh, yeah? Well, there you go. It's, it's poetic then. Um, that was three years ago. Uh, and Oh, wow. Yeah, That's almost wild. to the day. And in fact, it was like two days after Trump was elected president. We had some words about that. I went and listened oh, no. to the uh, beginning of it. We sounded a little... Uh, Dejected. And, and in shock, really, <laughs> I think is what, what it was. Um, but uh, yeah, God, can you believe that it was three years ago? That that kind of I don't know that that kind of makes me mildly sad again. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean to know to know how far we've come and how not far we've come. I right, guess. right, right. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, things things are changing. I guess not to get political, but you know. No, I know, but uh, things are certainly not staying the way they are. It's, um, uh, I think, like you said, in both directions, it's just going like crazy. I can't, I can't believe that we can take it, still take in so much news all the time. Like it's just I, outrageous. Someone had mentioned on Twitter this morning actually that like, um, what is it like the the Taco Bell, the Yokero Taco Bell dog, the Chihuahua. Oh, yeah. That campaign lasted, or like that sort of interest in that campaign lasted about two years. <laughs> and the interest in the Cybertruck, you know, the new Tesla pickup, uh, is basically over. You know, it was announced a couple of days ago and people are like over it. You yeah. know? And so like the, that attention span that we have and sort of like, are we built for this sort of vapid digestion of information? And I don't know, it was just, just maddening. So. Yep. Yeah, that uh, 36 to 48 hours, I think we were interested in that truck and then off it went. <laughs> I know. I know. I, do you have any thoughts on that truck? Uh, well, it's polarizing. My son and I sat and watched uh, Marky, uh, Marky Brown. Oh, yeah, Marcus Boundley. Boundley. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and we watched it together on YouTube and he was like, I, I, I don't even know what to think. He's 10 years old, you know. Right. Um, and uh, and it was very polarizing. We both kind of ended up not liking it, but I am glad it exists. You know what I mean? That's sort of like good car design to me. Uh, they're so the, the only innovation I see tend to be kind of vulgar. Like I just don't like them. Uh, yep. And I don't think this is. I think this is kind of I don't know throwing down the gauntlet for hey, let's think about things a little bit differently. But but wow, it is. It is something. <laughs> I mean, that I, I always thought about that in design. Like, there's there was there's that adage where people say, "Well, if you don't love it or hate it, then did you get the like the response?" Right? Like, I think people said that about Apple products years ago when like the iMac Cube came out and like this and that. And over the years, obviously, different Mac Pros. But I think it's just funny that the 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 action should be like you love it or you hate it versus mm. that middle ground where oh you know like well then you didn't do a good enough job because it's just sort of middling literally so yeah um, I don't know that's that's sort of an interesting viewpoint when we when we launched Twitter or sorry when we launched Typekit uh, we, we didn't do so on Twitter we did it on a blog because it was right. ten, 10 years ago with comments on even and um, and I remember after we did that we got a lot of traffic and a lot of attention to it. Um, or when we announced, not when we launched, but when we announced. And half of the comments were like, this is going to be the best thing ever. And the other half were like, this will never work. And I'm like, good, we're, we're on to something, <laughs> right? If it had been a bunch of like, well, good luck, you know? Yeah. Like, there's, yeah there's this, have um, you read the book, um, The Originals by Adam Grant? No. It's, um, he's like a teacher at Warden, I think. Um, I kind of just started it on a recommendation of a friend, but like he's got a couple of principles, but one of them is, and this fits in line of type git, um, is, you know, question the default or, yeah. or whatnot. And, and that sort of innovation where like, you know, don't do things that have been done or, you know, people will think you're crazy or people will hate it or love it. Um, or like, you know, why hasn't this been done before? And it starts off with an anecdote about like how the guys from Warby Parker, you know, no one thought that was going to work, but obviously we have, Warby Parker today, <laughs> right? And eyeglasses for eighty-five bucks, so, oh, 95 bucks or whatever they are. So, 
that you can try um, but, on. Yeah, right. Exactly. I know. Right. And that's sort of, but that that sort of speaks to the idea, like, oh well, no one's tried fonts on the web before, and like hosting them, and like delivering them, and all the all that stuff. And and yet now today, that's like so normal. So yeah, nobody's ever made a truck that looks like a Cylon from Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's weird because it it looks like it, it looks crazy, but it looks familiar if ah. you've grown up around sci-fi whatsoever. You know, because it has. It has a little bit of that DeLorean vibe, or it has a yeah. little bit of like what a kid might draw, almost, you yeah. know. So it's to me, it isn't that crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, my son thought uh, that it looked like a computer rendering that was not done yet. Ah, like it was just it, polygons, and they hadn't gotten the skin on yet. So. Oh my God, that's that's you know this sort of like reminds me of your last podcast of with um, Harold about mm-hmm. the iPad and tools on it, and and both of your children sort of like you know going up in this age where the fidelity of stuff has to be much higher than our concept of fidelity where i think you know you and i might be accustomed to pen and paper mm. or sketching and whatever else and like today kids are probably like yeah everything is high dpi that you know super polished cgi type sort of thing so that's that's an interesting observation mm. yeah 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 i think so and and i think they're also much more aware of how things are made like when I was a kid a long time ago, it never occurred to me like that there were a bunch of uh, cameramen in the living room with the, you know, the, the Cunningham family on happy days. Like it was just a show and we just watched it and you know, mm-hmm. it was entertaining. Uh, uh, and now that, that blurring the line between creation and consumption, I think is so common that you could look at a piece of, Des, a designed object like that truck and say like oh i know how you would render out something like that and what it would take to make it and how it's only partially at the way in the process when you're 10 years old you know right so right. let's kind of shift gears a little bit i wanted to i wanted to uh talk a bit about uh well i wanted you to talk a little bit frankly <laughs> <laughs> about uh how your career has gone uh as a as a sort of proxy for how we think about like where our careers go, right? I've seen this a lot since I have been kind of in uh, in design leadership and management, where yeah. hire people that are very talented but very young, or or if not young, at least early in their careers, mm-hmm. and talking to them about charting out a path for where they want might want to go. If they want to stay as contributors, if they want to move into management, if they want to get into other p- aspects of design and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I think you've thought a lot about that and been very kind of deliberate and intentional about the choices that you've made. Um, and I thought we might talk a little bit about that today. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, 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 I would hope I've been deliberate. I definitely think about it. Um, and, you know, it's interesting that our industry has sort of matured into... Uh, and I think this is because, you know, tech, it, you know, we're still in our nascent ages or, you know, maybe in the grand scheme of things, infancy. Um, but for designers, you know, we, we, we were talking about, okay, well, let's have design have a seat at the table, right? And now it seems commonplace or more and more common that a technical co-founder will go get a design co-founder mm. um, or even a product co-founder. Um, or at least that's what I'm seeing and experiencing with some of the startups I've been working with, um, or at least the, the people I gravitate towards um, as a designer. And I think it's it's interesting. Okay, we've we've gotten to that point. Let's say design has a seat at the table, um, and as companies have stabilized, grown, um, scaled up, uh, design now has the sort of specialization that I think didn't exist for a long time before. I think, at least in my sort of generation, um, we were thought of as generalists, sort of like we could do, you know, a little bit of branding, we could do a little bit of um, uh, website design, and then that sort of parlayed or like evolved into people switching over to product design once that sort of became a thing. You know, there was information architecture, there was like pure visual design. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're at the stage where, you know, companies have huge design departments, maybe not huge comparatively to engineering departments, but at the point where there are layers and specializations. And so it's sort of interesting to see where young designers especially are going for roles because those jobs exist 
that are very specific to a certain kind of um, design. And so I, I start, I've started to wonder, where do generalists sort of fit in? Um, and in my experience, and, and because, you know, because of the time I came up, um, generationally, I feel like a lot of my peers and friends and colleagues have all moved into management and leadership. That seems to be like the natural path. Um, and that seems to be like this sort of, at the same time, this sort of like um, crux of the matter where some people want to, and, and, you know, to digress a little bit, you mentioned it, you know, people talk about IC roles, individual contributor roles, and right. then talking about like management slash leadership roles. And it seems like that's the path, like you stay in IC and then there are things like leveling up and all these sort of weird HR people ops things that happen um, that have to do with compensation and all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting to think about that the orgs, because we're still trying to figure out on the, you know, the company org structure side even, uh, that people's careers are moving into those areas where they don't necessarily see, you know, that many avenues. Um, but at the same time, I also think there needs to be a lot of, I, to me, I feel like designers need to be a bit more generalist, but beyond design as well. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that like designers are, I mean, and I'm sure because again, of the specialization sort of thing, they're being cordoned off into specific departments. And so they have their mandate and sort of their day to day, um, but I, I don't know if that works well as sort of a very cohesive, collaborative environment. Um, I don't know if you saw this at Adobe or Typekit or any of the startups you've done, but you know those early days when it's just a few people and like the collaboration is very free flowing. And obviously, like you get to growing pains and economies of scale where like things have to become specialized or people to do specific things. But um I'm wondering, like, how does a designer mature, whether they are in an IC or a management role, but still get to sort of have, you know, their hands in different pies, but also sort of trying to understand where an org is going and how they can help shape that from the design side of things. Right. So... Interesting. There's a lot in there. Uh, one of the things yes. I wanted to <laughs> one, one of the things I wanted to back up and 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 dig into just a little bit is this idea of a career that's st- that you start to measure in decades, like I have been doing. Mm-hmm. I think you're you're starting to do, and thinking about that, like having done that for having been a designer for 20 years or 25 years or something like that, uh, and still being making artifacts on a daily basis mm-hmm. as your job. I don't see that. And, and this could just be my, you know, lack of, uh, in, insight into big corporations, but I don't see that in bigger companies the same way I, I would people like you who have decided I want to keep producing. I want to keep solving these problems and using my craft. I'll do that independently and, mm-hmm. you know, starting their own shop or a small agency, you know, things like that. But no, like, I uh, have to be honest, I've not worked with a lot of designers who are doing design, like spending their day in sketch, making like, you know, like I said, making artifacts mm-hmm. that are 40 or 50 or 60 years old. And uh, I'm sure there are people all over the country and listening now that are, but that just does not feel like people stay in that ind- individual contributor path that long. And, and I'll be honest, it's the same for engineering. I don't see a lot of people writing JavaScript uh, that are 50 years old either. So, yep, I I think that's, you know, and then just to like mention that thing at the end there, I, I think there is, I've had a couple of things out there about like ageism, uh, both on engineering and, and uh, design, but like, you know, this slightly, this narrative that we've created where, you know, if you are at that age, you shouldn't be pushing pixels or right. pushing points um, and that you should be like, you know, sitting cush and going on cruise control and just sort of sitting in management. Not to say that those jobs are easy because, you know, managing people is a whole other skill set um, and takes a lot of dedication and, and craft to do well. Um, but it is sort of this narrative like, oh, well, I, I'm not doing that. I mandate and tell other people to do that. Uh-huh. Or I'm just sitting here and just, you know, again, you're you're in that director uh, level position or, you know, design manager position. Um, 
And it's an, it's an interesting thing to kind of think about whether or not you can do the work, because I know some people feel like, oh, you know, I can't keep up with the young guns or I can't um, do a certain level of design. And I think, I mean, for me, that's been through to some degree in the sense that, like, I don't think I'm the best uh, aesthetic person anymore. Um, or, you know, like, I'm, I'm not going to push the boundaries of visual design. Like, I have sort of, like, the things that I like to do and the foundation and the certain sort of way I like to design because well, I got, have an opinion on it. You got stuck in your ways? Is that what you're saying? Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's more like I have, I'm going to do design based on, you know, the 22 years of experience that I have um, because I think it's born out of um, that experience and just sort of like holistic knowledge of everything that's culminated up into this point in my career. Um, and I don't think it's, it's worth fighting or like doing the battles, you know, fighting the battles on a sort of very purely small level. Uh, or what I kind of think of as small level then, and sometimes doesn't necessarily provides either value or moves the needle. Um, whereas there are sort of larger design questions at stake. And so I, I sometimes have what I've been moving towards is sort of thinking less about like super high polished sort of products and moving towards working with clients and companies that are still in early stages where mm -hmm. things like alpha and beta and, and either plea product even, or plea new initiative or feature, um, are still on the table. So it's like a mix of like, I want to help execute at a direction that a directional slash strategic level. Um, but also execute that design so that they have like a solid foundation of like, I can help you see this kind of all the way to some sort of product. Um, but, you know, polishing it all the way till it's a gem um, or a diamond is is probably someone else's job. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like this weird middle ground that I've I found myself working in that allow me to sort of stretch my skill set all the way through from like ideation, conception, deduction, and still produce something. Um, but how important that that the deliverable or the sort of, you know, um, artifact is super polished yeah. is less important to me if it's not doing the job that design, you know, should be solving mm, yeah. or the problems that companies are, are facing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I had a similar experience in my career early on, but I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna use that as a little cliffhanger because we have to take a little break first. Um, we're gonna talk about TV this time, actually watching stuff, uh, streaming, uh, and uh, and do so by talking about our friends uh, from ExpressVPN. So I've talked about ExpressVPN on this podcast a number of times. Mm -hmm. We know that uh, that the VPN like it protects your privacy and security and all that, but. Uh, I don't know if you do this, Nas, but I do this all the time, which is jump on the VPN so I can go watch something that's like not been licensed for where I live in the UK. I have all the time. Like you can, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and they're all in on this with ExpressVPN. You can, uh, you can literally like unlock stuff from any country just by, uh, launching ExpressVPN, changing your location in the app, and then like refreshing Netflix, and you can watch Doctor Who or Star Trek in the UK, um, or sports or wherever you want. Uh, they hide your IP address so you can control where you want sites to think you're located, and you can choose from almost a hundred different countries. Like they're all over the place. You could be, um, uh, you could be streaming from Russia. You could be streaming from anywhere. Uh, just think of all the Netflix libraries you could go look through. It's crazy. So if you love yeah. like anime, you can use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix. Uh, and it's not just Netflix. It's Hulu and the BBC iPlayer and YouTube, like all of that, wherever you want. Uh, there's hundreds of VPNs out that you could choose from, but Exp ExpressVPN is ridiculously fast. I mentioned earlier uh, a couple episodes ago, I forgot that I was connected to ExpressVPN and recorded the podcast uh, streamed uh, over uh, Skype the whole time, and it made no difference. It just it uh, I can't tell the difference between uh, when I'm connected to ExpressVPN and when I'm just surfing the the web without any protection, no buffering, no lag, streaming, all in HD. Uh, 
it's compatible with all your devices, uh, media consoles, smart TVs, your phones, all of that. You can hook that up to ExpressVPN. Um, so look, if you visit the special link right now at expressvpn.com slash presentable, you get three extra months when you buy a uh, one-year package. Uh, you support this show, watch what you want, protect yourself, expressvpn slash presentable. Uh, thanks to them uh, for their support of presentable and all of Relay FM. You, uh, you like streaming the anime? What do you watch? I I do like UK Netflix. I was actually in <laughs> in, in Malaysia not too long ago. Oh yeah, uh, like last month, and uh, I was they had Netflix hooked up in the Airbnb we were staying at, and I was like, they have all the Avengers titles, or like you know just all this stuff that we don't get in the US. So I do I do I do use ExpressVPN. I've used it for a long time. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was, I was like switching over and I was like, oh yeah, UK, UK or slash Malaysia. I think they're the same. Um, and I was like watching, trying to like watch, see what kind of availability they had. Cause they had, they had all, you know, like they had all the John Wick movies. And I love John Wick. <laughs> so I started watching a couple of those or whatever. So, um, but yeah, I haven't delved into. I'm actually yeah, the Japanese one might be cur- it might be interesting to look into. I th- you know, it sounds like it's wrong, but I, everyone's getting paid, right? I guess I, I don't know. So. I don't know. It's not, it doesn't feel like piracy to be able to do something like that to me I, anyway. But I don't know. Yeah. I am now on the record as supporting this. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Yeah, all, right. It's, uh, all right. So we were talking about kind of that transition point from when you kind of stopped making artifacts, and you were talking about. Uh, wanting to move a little more into strategy, but not let go of that. And I can tell you a little bit about my own career. Um, mm-hmm. I think my like the the hard hard work of craft for me came uh, like if I if I think about the beginning of my career when I was at Wired Magazine, it was all just like inventing. There was literally no stuff ever done before so we were just trying to figure stuff out and it was like fumbling around in the dark and like oh my god this works and let's try this and you know stuff like that it was the craft part really came when i was a consultant for adaptive path Mm -hmm. and this was you kind of earlier you mentioned uh information architecture and we talked a lot about uh, interaction design and these were all very separate from visual design and they were very much about the intricacies and the detail for how each individual element of a website would function. Uh, and again, it was, you know, early enough, we were only like five or six years into the web, really, that a lot of stuff like autocomplete on a search or drop down menus for navigation and stuff like that, there were just no norms. There was no, right. like, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't call them standards because they're not official, but like, everyone knows what a ham- hamburger menu is now. Like, you know, and there's not a, a ton of innovation. There might be some little cute personality bits you do, right? Uh, for mm-hmm. how it unfurls and things like that. But like back then, we had to really figure out every individual tiny little detail. And so we mocked that up in a very kind of abstract way of wireframes so that it wasn't uh, presupposed what the final outcome would visually be visually represented but instead we talked all about the functionality and i must have made tens of thousands of those wireframe documents and at some point in that that period of time when we were doing adaptive path and i was a consultant i realized that me making those documents was not the most effective way to make businesses more successful Mm -hmm. uh that the 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 production might the time that i spent and i really enjoyed it like i had I used OmniGraffle back then, and I had that like so deeply wired into my reptile brain that like I could dream yep. in OmniGraffle and, uh, and just on and on. Like uh, it was really fun to do that, and really satisfying to do that work. So like of the tens of thousands, I bet of those documents I made, I bet half of them never ever made it beyond the pitch that I gave when I showed the work. You know, like, and I'm like, well, this is a huge waste of time. Like I get how all this stuff works and I love interaction design, but I gotta, I gotta find a way to be more influential, uh, or, you know, or I'm going to be just unsatisfied with the work we're doing. Mm -hmm. So that to me was the, the next step up to say like, well, I can find somebody again earlier in their career that can probably do this just as fast and well as I can, but then I can take that work 
and be much more influential if I can get access to higher levels of the organization. And so that meant stopping to being an individual contributor and stopping to be a consultant too. That was around the time that I kind of moved into Google and started mm-hmm. working on Google Analytics and stuff like that and realizing like these guys, these people should be run, should be making all of the, the images uh, of the things we want to build. I will go make sure we can get them built. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I find that frankly, a lot of the expertise that I had built up doing all of that interaction design really kind of translated pretty well to whiteboards and real time collaboration. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I would, we would run this, like, here's the head of engineering and here's the head of marketing and here's the, uh, head of product and I'm going to be running design and I will draw what they think up. Yeah. And we'll yeah. do that in real time. And then I'll have a team of three people like go prototype that thing very quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. Because they have the craft and they can make the thing. Um, but working out the ideas, again, by creating artifacts, but in this case, disposable ones on a whiteboard, seem to work pretty well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I often wonder whether IA in some respects was, you know, at least for that moment when wireframes were all the age, you know, they're just polished sketches. Like it's Again, it, yeah. it, if you're polishing a gem or whatnot, if you want to use that metaphor, you're continually refining it, adding details, fidelity, um, you know, kind of like what, what your son was thinking about with the cyber truck, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like how, how far do you polish something before it's like shippable? Um, I think what's interesting to me is sort of like thinking about that aspect of craft and then how it relates to uh, life stage of a company um, and whether they have the resources to go do that. Um, and what's important at any given moment in time. Um, like, I, I think at scale, yes. Like, when you have something like Google, Airbnb, you have the resources and you're working on that many products and initiatives and so on and so forth that um, you have groups inside of groups inside of groups and, and you know, there's design inside of different groups and so on and so forth. Um, I, I still think there's, like, a place where, you know, or what what I'm afraid of is where designers don't see the broader picture of the work they're doing and how it affects outcomes. So to your point, how does design affect the business itself? How does design uh, make real change? So it's actually, you know, what I was saying earlier, solving the real problems of the, the, the company um, and what they are promising their customers. So when a company or when a, a designer is firing up Sketch or Figma or whatever tool they're using, what what are the sort of guiding, what's the North Star, what's the sort of, you know, loose guiding principles around, uh, not to use sort of a violent metaphor, but like I, I often think of it as um, when you're trying to win the war, there are some battles that aren't worth fighting. Um, so when you when you mentioned hamburger menus, like, like mm-hmm. Yes, you could you can innovate on menus and menu systems inside of the sponsored web design or you know mobile apps, but for the most part, like there are um, st- standardizations um, that have become commonplace and normal, and people when they see two lines, three lines ver- um, horizontally, they understand. Oh, that's probably a menu or a slide out law or, or whatever. Um, and so when I sometimes sit in on design critiques um, or design the views and there's almost like a strange fallacy or uh, thing for designers to, and you know, this, this is their, their, their private space. Um, so I get it um, to sort of go hard on these little details. But I often wonder like, if you're still early stage, if you're, you know, seed um, series A, series B even, how important are these details, you know? Um, if they're not really converting into uh, real value for your customers. And so like, I, I think for me, my evolution as a designer is to start moving, or at least for the last year and a half, I've moved into that area. Um, and even when I was at Visco um, for almost two years, I started stepping away from like hardcore, like, you know, this has to be perfect, this has to be polished. And moving into a lot of like, let's push out experiments, let's learn and then polish um, and developing like a framework where I was more interested in how to work with product and engineering more and how that reflects the goals of the business. 
because there are some things that don't, you know, and, and I know designers argue me, <laughs> with me about this, but like, you know, details matter, yes. But while you're trying to affect change, especially at that higher scale and that sort of um, level, you know, good enough is good enough, you know, in terms of design. Um, will it ship for sooner? Will it do the job that it's meant to do? If it answers, you know, some of those basic questions, then I think, you know, see what happens. And then you can refine it later if you see it's a problem. But I think wasting uh, people hours and sort of, uh, I don't know, like the minutiae, I guess, um, when you could be really sort of trying to affect, uh, again, business goals, like, okay, we need to get subscribers or we need to pump revenue. We need to get people in the door through onboarding. Yeah, yeah. Um, what are the important initiatives? Yeah, so. it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if, the, in how you described it, if you're talking about different kinds of design process or just different designers, different kinds of designers, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yep. And, the, and again, it could be sort of evolutionary. It could be different parts, uh, different times in their careers where somebody's going to be very hyper focused on attention to detail. I've done, I don't know how many three or four at least uh, podcasts on design systems and talk mm -hmm. about like that is all attention to detail and, and making sure every little widget is consistent everywhere. Um, you know, for a company like Salesforce or Adobe sure. or something, yeah. uh, or if you're going to do something like material design, you're going to really get into the details. And in, in some ways the details are the strategy right? This is going to allow mm -hmm. us to stop thinking so much about these details and really focus much more on user needs or uh, business strategy uh, yeah. or things like that, since we don't have to reinvent uh, what a cancel button looks like every single time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, th I think that's definitely the promise of design systems. Um, there's certainly debate around, out there on whether or not design systems in and of itself are you know, that that's also never a done job, I would think, you know, complementing things, updating things, reflecting redesigns, reflecting all that stuff. Um, that's just that's a whole other thing, too. And that that's become a whole strategy. We've seen, you know, people like Dan Maul um, do this on the consulting side um, in his super friendly design studio or I guess the design systems now where they've gone doubled down on that. Um, and that's been, you know, some of the people I know, um, like, um, Gina Bolton, um, who's been doing design systems for a long time now at this point. Um, she's one of the four, four leaders in this. Um, and it's been fascinating to watch, um, like design systems become like a buzzword <laughs> in design in the last couple of years. Like everyone's doing design systems, um, which is cool. I, I think that's, that's great to see like, okay, let's, let's sort of make this repeatable processes, things that are, again, like, I mean, maybe, you know, this is what's solving my sort of um, theory around like, okay, let's not, we don't have to fight these battles because we have a design system, you know, let's go try to do the bigger strategy things, as you were saying. Uh, and so I, I think that's definitely one path. Um, but, it, but it is interesting to kind of like consider, is it, is it a evolution of a designer? Is it a evolution experience age? Is it, you know, what, what do designers want to do? Where does design go? Does it become sort of mechanized or sort of um, uh, automated, I guess, in that uh -huh. sense? And I think people are trying to solve those problems. So it's, it's always, but it's also interesting because we've been trying to solve a lot of these problems over the years. And like, you know, at what point, where, where are the tipping points for all of it? And like, what will sort of, you know, in quotes, win out? Um, but that's, that's sort of an interesting one, I think. Well, yeah, in many ways, when you mentioned automation, we have done uh, a tremendous amount of design automation. I mean, the, the fact that, um, anybody can very quickly create a presence on the web on WordPress or Squarespace mm -hmm. or what, mm -hmm. whatever, um, means that in many ways we've been successful, right? We have commoditized uh, well-designed things in such a way that anybody can have one. Yeah, I mean, and that's that. That'll be interesting to see how design teams, whether you're, you know, in product or in marketing, how that sort of, how do you do that? You know, and whether you'll need more people or less people, um, and then what what do designers evolve into? 
So that's that's sort of like the thing I've been questioning with my own career um, is like where where do I see some of the gaps? Where do I see some of the uh, opportunities? Where you know I think I think weight shift has had a good um, lifespan, but it's also evolved a lot over the years from being sort of you know kind of like a, a website. We made websites because that was a thing, and then over the last you know six, seven years has been more product focused. Um, and it's, you know, it's been big at some times, like up to like, you know, nine people. And then it's, and that's now it's just me. And that's evolved with sort of where I've wanted to take it, but it also involves with sort of my interest level and where I think, and I think it's also as a consultant, um, just reflecting the industry is because there's everyone's gone in-house. Most of my peers and colleagues and friends have all gone in-house. I know very few people that are doing independent stuff these days. Huh. And that's also uh, an, in, an industry shift, I guess, because people want maybe different things. I think definitely at, at this age, you know, being in my 40s, um, people have kids, mortgages, so on and so forth. So there's like this level of stability and so on and so forth. And I think um, because my wife and I don't have kids, we we can take on a certain level of risk. And uh, I'm trying to find like different, different ways to work and provide value. I mean, these days I'm definitely thinking about design as like, how does it provide value to a company? Um, and how does it, how does it sort of, affect change at the business level um going back to what you were saying earlier yeah uh, i just think that's that's that is helpful to early stage companies at least oh i think i think well beyond that but hold that thought i want to ask you more about that and we're going to take a little break so look the holiday shopping season boxing day black friday all of that are just around the corner i'm online all the time buying stuff i know you are too i was uh, earlier today trying to order a turkey online uh, for us to have as a big meal. Uh, and I know that when I'm shopping online, there's a little worse than having a shopping cart just fail. Uh, or the website is suddenly unavailable. You get some weird 500 error or something like that. Look, if you are responsible for anything online, Pingdom will let you know the moment that thing goes down. Uh, and, it'll, and they'll do that in whatever way is best for you. They use transaction monitoring to, to alert you when a cart checkout or forms or login pages fail uh, before they affect your customers and before they affect your business. You can customize how you're alerted and who is alerted depending on the severity of the outage. So if you go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now, you can get a 14-day trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, you can use the code PRESENTABLE at checkout and they'll knock 30% off your first invoice, which is really impressive. So uh, go check out Pingdom now. Uh, pingdom.com slash relay fm thanks to pingdom for their support of this show and all of relay fm uh yeah so design providing value we were talking about mm -hmm. earlier um let, let me tell you another story about early early in my career and this is even before the web uh because i got started for a few years after in college and after college as a journalist and then a editor at a newspaper mm -hmm. Uh, and it was one of those little, like the, the weekly that you get in some small town, you know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. it's all like car crashes and little league scores and stuff like that. The city council reporting and we did all that kind of stuff. But starting there, what I learned was that the product, which in this case was always story, right? Editorial was this collaborative effort and it was, uh, also kind of where all the power was in the organization. Right. So there was really almost no interaction between editorial and ad sales. Like the only interaction was a little like negotiation each week about how many pages and where the ads would go and, you know, mm -hmm. how much do, how much space do we have left for editorial? Right. Uh, and, and really that like the power in the organization was this balance between the editor in chief and the publisher who, right. The editor made the product and the publisher paid for it, ran the business. Right. right. Uh, and even then, the idea that a publisher would come and say to the editor, I want you to change that editorial and write about this instead, like everybody would quit, right? This is, and, and <laughs> again, this is 25, 30 years ago when, you know, newspapers made a bunch of money. Uh, yeah. And they'd be like, no, we're not going to do that. And like, you know, we'll go work somewhere else. So I kind of, my first introduction to design, which was very like templated, 
like how to fit stories and photos and headlines. And like, that's where I learned using Quark Express on an SE30. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's how far, how long ago this was. Um, I learned all of that in this context of those of us who make the product run everything. And then I went to Wired Magazine and we started building websites in the exact same way. It was a publishing house. It was, we have like, uh, we, we call them producers of different channels of the website that ran everything. And then there was an engineering team that did the sort of platform underneath. But mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't them coming with new features and saying, hey, go design this. It was always, So it was at least 10 years into my career, the first time I experienced this idea of like, wait a minute, the design and product people don't just make all the decisions. That's weird. You know, so, mm-hmm. um, so I think that has framed up why, uh, I worked really hard as a designer for a while and then realized, no, like I want to keep making the decisions and Silicon Valley is not like that. So I'm going to go try to change that where to provide the value. Yeah. I, I often wonder, is it whose job is it to do all that stuff? You know, I think, I think in some ways we have this hierarchy of, um, at least in teams or verticals or however you want to what whatever term you want to call it, but um, where you know you have PMs that interface with sort of like a director. Uh, then the the structure is interesting only because like I I think about um, how that dissemination of information, how that goal is dispersed and then sort of reconstituted in their day to day tasks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do they sort of keep, if they can, that is, or if they care, how do they keep that that level of okay, I want to, I want to push, I want to affect change, if I can, um, through you know design systems or through I need to do this button. Um, I I truly do believe that like every all of the parts have to work together, and they should work together hopefully successfully um, with that common shared goal. But obviously things like people's personalities, um, interpersonal things, just, you know, all that people stuff that happens. There are other things that happen, obviously, like that, you know, whether it's ego or whether it's um, confidence or or whatnot, um, or whether it's just having an environment that allows for you to be long, for example. Um, Sometimes I've seen environments where uh people can be less receptive of ideas or even you know especially if they're they don't agree with them mm. um or dominating dominating personalities uh that don't make space for other people so you know i think like there is this level of transparency and collaboration that should be fostered but i don't know if I see it enough. I think people pay lip service to it a lot, but I don't know whether people execute on it. Right, right. Well, you know, there's a whole other uh, movement, I would almost call it now, uh, as a way of like, how, how can designers affect change in an organization? Um, I had Mike Montero on the program a few months mm-hmm. ago, a number of months ago now, uh, but he's talking about licensing uh, and unionizing and organizing and saying like, be giving the people who are still doing the craft the right to be able to say no and still mm-hmm. and still keep their jobs in whatever environment they happen to be in. Like, no, I can't do that. I'd lose my license. That would be illegal. I can't, you know? So, uh, and especially when you overlay that with everything that's happening around data privacy these days, I think uh, there's some really intriguing stuff uh, there as an, as an angle on the same thing about affecting change inside of an organization. I agree. Yeah, Ethan Marcotte gave a great talk at uh, New Adventures Conference. Oh, uh, that's there, yeah. That's right, yeah. Uh, I was there too as, I spe- as a speaker. Um, but Ethan gave this great, if, if no one's aware of it, um, he, gave a, he gave a great talk called The World Wide Work. It was a pretty epic thing. I had chills watching it. Uh, but the the summation at the end was the idea of, of what Mike's talking about here is like unionization um, and sort of making standards for all this stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, to my point, I'm a little ignorant of what labor unions and how they work um, are. So I'm not going to 
uh, espouse on it. But if, if you know, <laughs> feel oh, free to no, chime. not really. I mean, um, only from what I've heard and read about what's yeah. happening. And, and, um, and I think the word union can have as many connotations as you, as you can Same. imagine. Right. But, right. uh, but at the same time, the idea of, to me, it sounds like a way of empowerment of being mm-hmm. able to in the kind of environments you were mentioning right there's there's environments where designers are doing amazing work because they are, have the opportunity they feel safe enough to be their most creative and vulnerable selves that is the idealized version of what we want for every company but it's exceedingly rare it right it just it's uh it, it could even happen in pockets of of a company and other parts of the company are not like that what often happens is that there are domineering voices and there are power struggles and there uh, are all sorts of aggressions happening every day mm-hmm. in business. And to give the designer or the developer or the person being asked to do something that they feel is counterproductive or illegal, the ability to say no without having to risk their entire livelihood, I think is yeah. really, really important. I agree. I I think there isn't um, enough space, spaces, uh, safe spaces. You know, like I think about sort of um, a lot of that with some of the teams I've worked with. um, Just having that space, that psychological safety, Um, even internally within a team, is difficult. Let alone like at scale within an org. Um, and that, unfortunately, well, maybe not unfortunately, but d- depending on how an org is run, whether that should come top down or bottom up, uh, yeah. or is sort of a, a democratic sort of approach to it. Um, but it's hard. I, I think it takes a lot of work. You know, I think part part of um, some of this other stuff with sort of like how I've been looking at design is like how does design sit alongside engineering? Um, you know, finance or business, uh, people, ops, uh, product, and how how is it most effective? You know, how do we drive towards a common goal that is, you know, clear and transparent? Uh, and sometimes that's hard to find, you know, like there are often times when designers need somebody to make an executive decision, um, uh, whether that comes from a director or a manager or some leadership uh, or the sea level, and it's it's hard to, you know, I, th- I think the struggles I've seen with design, either for myself or with other designers I've worked with, is that sort of search for clarity. And so I, I think it behooves anybody in an org to sort of, you know, at least at this stage in time, go seek it out if you're not being made aware of it, uh, and find out. Like try to cover as much surface area as you can, so it makes your job arguably better, um, but also arguably easy, easier. Um, so that like what you're working in day in and day out actually provides value to the company, but also provides you with a sense of like I'm doing something that's worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Interestingly, like com- almost coming full circle here, the uh, perhaps the act of doing the craft for a good chunk of time earlier in your career can set you up for the complexities of decision-making later uh, that business really needs to be able to move forward without making more hamburger menus, right? Like yep. that, that, that I- idea of like, let's move to an artifact and let's, let's strive for clarity and brevity and, um, and try to articulate a strategy that, uh, has the kind of like built-in empathy that comes from the design practice and all of those things, you know? Mm-hmm. And I realize mm-hmm. I'm kind of like bullet pointing the the playbook of design thinking from, you know, over the last 10 years, but at the same time, taking the best parts of the craft and applying them to how businesses operate in the world. I think, um, I still think there's a tremendous amount of ground for us to cover there. I agree. I agree. I think designers have a, have, a lot of skills, a lot of skill sets that they can bring value to an org. Um, it really is just how an org operates, how they allow design to have that seat at the table. You know, obviously we've talked about like, oh, engineering driven orgs or design driven companies and so on and so forth. Um, and sometimes I, I take issue with this idea because, you know, it's just sort of like, oh, we're focused on design. It's just a way of saying that design is is 
priority to us. But it's hard to sort of correlate that to what that means. Oh, yeah. Is it just, you know, does it just mean like one of your co-founders is a designer? Or does it mean, oh, design is in the details and we're very aesthetically beautiful to everybody. Like we have an awesome website. Our products look awesome. Do they work well? Do they deliver value? Right. Are these the right kinds of questions or things to be working on that, you know, is it a differentiator? And so that that becomes like a marketing-esque play oh, almost. Totally, like, oh, totally. We're design-driven because we like pretty things. <laughs> exactly. And, <laughs> and that's apparent to consumers, right? Or customers. And so it's sort of an interesting thing to think about, like, where does the real value in... I mean, I find myself having sort of this weird blindness to apps now where... So long as it has the things in most of the like places, I forgive a bazillion design sins in terms of aesthetic, where it's like, I don't really care that this was a 10, you know, point rounded corner versus a four point rounded corner or something in my banking app, or that my banking app has to have crazy animations. In fact, I don't want my banking app to have animations, which I find a lot of my banking apps to start doing <laughs> because I think they, they're like, oh, we need to, Citibank or Chase needs to have like, oh, our, our app needs to feel cool. And maybe this is like a something for the C, CEO or like the marketing or the sales teams to say, oh, look how beautiful our app is. Um, and so, you know, that, that also solves maybe like a business purpose. Like we need more people attracted to our platform because we have an aesthetically beautiful app or something. But I think, you know, thinking about speed of apps and like whether things work is more important. I think people feel apps work well when they just do the thing they need to do in as little time as possible. Um, and so I guess I'm operating in this mindset of like, where is the most value and how quickly can you get someone to the task they need to be done? And then this is table stakes, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I totally agree. Uh, and again, like for bringing design up a level to being able to say, what are the tasks? Not how are the tasks rendered? Yeah. But what exactly. are they? Are they the right ones? And are we even thinking about it? I'm going to look at that book, the originals that you mentioned earlier about nonconformity yeah. uh, and, and, and changing, changing the, the world. Default. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's cool. Man, I could talk about this uh, all day with you. And we have in the past. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is great stuff. Uh, let's see. I've got you at uh, weightshift.com. Everybody should mm -hmm. go there. Hey, what's that typeface on the homepage, the big one, the display? Uh, it's called um, uh, uh, Mirador. M-I-R-A-D-O-R. -R. Nice. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's, I forgot who the foundry is. I actually found it browsing a, my wife is, uh, this is, this is sort of a digression, but like my wife subscribes to a couple of like knitting and textile magazines, mm. um, and their photography and their type choices have like, they're like amazing. Like if you think of that kind of stuff, you know, what you probably expect is something kind of stodgy or, uh, old school, but. There are some really cool young people doing really cool layouts and and print stuff um, coming out of Europe. So <laughs> yeah, that's part of the course. But uh, yeah, I'm going to probably get his name wrong, but it's Rene Bierder, Bedier, or something like something yeah. like that. It's it's yeah. um, it's a good looking typeface. Uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. That'll be good. Uh, and Weight Shift on Twitter, where uh, people yep. can follow you there. Yeah, good. No, it's uh, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Jeff. And that's another episode of Presentable. Hey, got any questions? You can email us at hello at presentable.fm or get in touch via Twitter by following Presentable FM. We hope you've really enjoyed the show. And if you do, could you take a moment and give us a rating on iTunes? It really helps and we'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jeffrey Veen and this was Presentable. <laughs>